0: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the the whole of Acacia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many.
1: We've got one more pastor coming next week to wrap up our short series that we called If I Could Tell You One Thing. What we've been doing, for those of you that have been here before over these last few weeks, is having one of our pastor and planter church planter friends come, and if they could preach one sermon to us, if there was one thing that they felt like God needed us to hear, what would that be? And so we'll pick that up and finish that off next week. For today, I'm sort of squeezing in between a week for us to talk through and consider uh, how our church is about to send a team of doctors and nurses and IT professionals to Bombay, some of them who leave this week. Okay, so if you're new here, let me just back up for a second and just give you a framework of what we're talking through today. As we began the work of planting this church... Uh, there were certain things that we knew that we were called to do and called to be about we knew we were called to believe and preach the gospel we knew that we were called to live and experience deep community we knew that we were called to participate in Jesus mission by spreading the message and mercy of Jesus we knew that we were supposed to love our city and make disciples But what I want you to hear is none of those things are unique to us. It's not like we thought them up or came up with them. That's what all churches that belong to Jesus are supposed to be about. Those are things that Jesus tells us in the scriptures. So the question has never been, are we going to do those things, but rather, how are we going to do those things, right? And that's where each church is uniquely called by God to get after these things in unique and different ways. So another one of those calls that are present to all of Jesus' churches is to participate in God's work to the ends of the earth. That Jesus calls us not just to love our own tribe, not just our own city or our own country or even our own nation, but to love to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, go and make more disciples of all nations, all peoples to the ends of the earth. So again, that's never been a question of if we're going to do it, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to get at the work of being a part of God's global work, of seeing the message and mercy and fame of Jesus extended to the corners of the earth? Let me tell you what we didn't do or have not done. We've never then took a map of the globe, put it up on a wall, took some darts and started throwing and saying, okay, I guess that's where we're going to go or there's where we're going to send people or that's where we're going to give money. We've also not thrown a net up against the whole globe and said, okay, Seven Mile Road's job is to conquer the whole planet. No, we're a small, as one of my friends likes to call it, snail fart of a church. We're tiny, right? And and we play our small part in God's bigger global work. Jesus' body of believers extends to all Christians throughout the world. And so what we want to ask is, what's our small sliver of that piece? What role do you want us to play? What do you uniquely have gifted us and called us and filled us with a passion to to participate in that global work? And what we've tried to do in in sort of discerning that is follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Rather than coming with our agenda, we've tried to say, Okay, Jesus, you are the chief shepherd and lead pastor of this church. You're the planter. You lead your church and show us where the Spirit is going that we might follow. And one of the ways that God has graciously answered that prayer and led is by raising up a heart for fighting against human trafficking. He's done that specifically through Jim and Lena. And, and as God sort of began to raise a, a burden in their hearts and a call to fight against human trafficking, to take Jesus' message and mercy to the ends of the earth, that began to stir all our hearts, right? I, I want you to know that Bombay was never... On my radar or vision. We didn't plant the church going one day we want to be a part of that. What we did was plant the church saying as God gives us brothers and sisters here... And that's what we believe the gospel does, that Jesus died and rose again to make us a part of God's family. God's the father. We're his children, brothers and sisters with one another. As God is beginning to set apart and call this brother and sister, Jim and Lena are going to go to Bombay, move their family in September to live there for this work. As God's doing that with our family, we've been asking, okay, if this is where you're sending our brother and sister, how do we as a family get behind that and participate in that? And one of the beautiful expressions of that has been connecting with an organization called Bombay Teen Challenge that fights human trafficking in Bombay. And moreover, to see God begin to stir our own hearts and burden our hearts for this issue. Now this issue of human trafficking if you're new to seven mile road let me just quickly bring you up to speed on what it is perhaps even if you're new you may have heard of it as it is beginning to gain global attention and is being reported by news outlets and 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 backed by celebrities who are fighting against it so what is this thing called human trafficking that god has at least in this season called us to give our hand towards and participate in Human trafficking is basically modern-day slavery. That is the simplest way that you could describe it. There are some 27 million slaves in the world today. Hundreds of years since slavery has been abolished, and yet there are 27 million slaves in the world today. That is more slaves than at any time in human history. There are twice as many slaves today as during the transatlantic slave trade with African Americans that our nation's history knows painfully well. Twice as many. 27 million slaves. And the majority of these slaves are females. In fact, they are in the majority of young women and children and girls. And the majority of these female slaves, of these young women, and of these children, and of these little girls, are particularly in the prison of sexual slavery. They are trapped, and drugged, and tricked, and brought into brothels, and all the like, and forced into prostitution, and forced into pornography. The pornography that the world over consumes with no thought is often at the expense of those that are trafficked and forced into these films. And this global problem is a huge one. The commercial sex industry generates some $28 billion each year. That is more than all the major sports combined. It is the avenue of entertainment for the world today. And, and because there is such a huge demand for this, there is a constant need to fill the supply. And so more and more people are trafficked, and more and more people are sold, and more and more people and children are taken in. In fact, out of all these millions of slaves, 1.2 million of them are children, Two children are trafficked into this evil enterprise every minute. Every minute, another two children are trafficked into this. And this is a global problem and a global evil. And the city of Bombay is one example of it. It's a microcosm of what is happening the world over. So you talk with Jim and Lena and they can tell you stories of the horrors of what is happening in the red light district of Bombay. They can share with you both, thankfully, both the stories of evil and the horrific situation there, but also they can share stories of hope, of how God is redeeming the lives of both victims and victimizers, the trafficked and the traffickers, how God is beginning to change the lives of both who are brought in and both who are running these things as he begins to change all things with his gospel. The good news of the gospel is that it can penetrate the lives of the most hardened sinners and the ones that are sinning and being sinned against can both be redeemed by the gospel. And so it's our great joy that we get to participate in a small way by giving And this year, by sending a team of nurses and doctors and some IT folks to go and lend their hand and to set up a clinic, a medical clinic, right in the heart of the Red Light District. And so from February 10th to February 20th, we've got a a team of folks, 16 in total, 12 of them from our church, who are going over to help run this clinic. And so what we want to do today is we want to encourage them with God's word. And we want to rally behind them as a church. And we want to send them off with our blessing. And I want you to hear this. Every one of you that are a part of Seven Mile Road, you have a part to play today. Because every one of you is either going or sending. And that's huge. Because I want you to remember the, the story of the Bible is that there is a Father in heaven who so loved the world that he did what? He sent His Son as a missionary into the world. So as the Son was going, the Father was sending. And the Son, that is Jesus Christ, came into the world to absorb our sin and live the perfect life and die in our place and gave His life for the sake of those of us who were in need. And as the sent one, what did He do? But when he had finished the work of death and resurrection, he who was sent now began to send his disciples and told them, you have to go into the ends of the earth, into your cities, into your countries, and to the ends of the earth with the message and mercy of my love. And so likewise, we who have been sent are now sending. We're sending a team to go and go to the other side of the globe, to Bombay, to spread the message and mercy of Jesus. And so this morning, God's word has something for all of us, all of us who are going and all of us who are sending. And for that word, I want to, to point you back to 2 Corinthians 1, the passage Lena just read for us. Let's go right back there. 2 Corinthians 1, and we'll look at verses 1 through 11. As you find where that is, if you need to flip to the front to find it, find it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll press into this together. Our God, we give you thanks for another time to sit under your word. We pray now that you would open our eyes and unblock our ears and soften our hearts and illuminate our darkened minds to hear and receive and believe and understand your word. And having had it applied to our heart, let it transform the way that we live. And let it be so for the good of every person sitting here, for the good of every person that we're called to, in both our city, our country, our region, and our world. And let all of this be for the glory of God alone. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the first question I want us to consider this morning, which is, to the team of folks that are going, what is it that you have to offer to the people who are suffering in Bombay? What are we sending you for? What are you going to bring? What are you going to give? What are you going to offer? What is it that you have to offer to the people who are suffering in Bombay? One of the team members came to me very honestly and very humbly in a beautiful way and said to me, Ajay, I have never done anything like this before. I've practiced medicine, but I have never been a part of a a mission trip. I have no idea what that's like. And I know how to practice medicine, but what am I going to offer to these people who are suffering unspeakable suffering? What can I do for them? How can I minister to not just their body, but also to their soul? How can I serve them not just physically, but also spiritually? It's a, a great question, a humble question. I'm grateful he asked it. And as we consider what God's Word might have to say about it, I want to first say this. To you who are going, I want to encourage you. It is no small thing that you are going to serve them physically. That you are going to minister health to their bodies. That you who are going for IT are going to minister to their worldly physical needs. That's no small thing. Don't dismiss that as lesser or unimportant or not really spiritual. Right? We can fall to one of two extremes or errors. Secular, Irreligious folks can tend to fall into the trap of exalting the body and diminishing the soul, right? So everything's about the physical world. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever makes you feel right. Do whatever makes you happy, even if it's at the cost of your soul or the soul of others. The, the lie that our culture tells us, the wisdom that we drink in is our bodies are what matters. Do whatever feels right and feels good because the soul does not matter. But all the way on the other side, religious folks can err as well by going too far to the other side and saying all that matters is the soul. All that matters is spiritual things. And so don't worry about the physical world or bodies. Those things perish and go away. The soul is all that God cares about. And Jesus comes and he falls to neither extreme. If you look at Jesus' life and you look at his ministry and his miracles, what do you see? Him healing both Body and soul. Two-thirds of the gospel record stories of Jesus doing what? Healing. He sees the blind and he makes them see. He He sees the deaf and he causes them to hear. He sees the lame and he makes them walk. He sees the leper and he touches them and cleanses them. He sees the dead and he makes them come to life. Because the reason is the gospel of Jesus is not just about getting you life after death but true life before death. Jesus has come not just to buy you a ticket into heaven, but to show you what true life is and to give you a life here. And so his ministry has always been to the whole person, both body and soul. And Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste of what we will enjoy and experience, right? Jesus resurrected a physical resurrection, And the scriptures tell us his resurrection is like the first fruit, like the first gatherings of the crop that show you what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. So when you look at his resurrection, the joy is we will share a resurrection like his. And what's his resurrection? Body and soul living eternally with God. I want you to remember that. The resurrection that we are waiting for and hoping for is not this flighty, flimsy, ghost-like thing where you could stick a finger through us. In fact, when Jesus resurrected, what did he tell his disciples? Touch my body, touch my side. See that I'm not a ghost, but, but a body. Will it be a glorified body, an immortal body, an imperishable body, a better body? Absolutely. But it will be a physical resurrection where both our bodies and souls will live forever with God. And so the ministry of Jesus is concerned with ministering and serving to both our physical and spiritual needs. And so what I'm saying to you, who are IT folks and doctors and nurses, as you heal the sick, as you mend to them, as you care for them, you are doing the work of Jesus. You are pointing them to the day that is to come when our bodies will no longer be under disease or decay, but all things will be renewed and glorified. And so, take great joy in the work of your hands. God has trained you and prepared you and given you skills to participate in his work. Nevertheless, it is the right question to ask, how do we minister both to body and soul? How can we go there and serve them both physically and spiritually? And so, to return to this question, what I want us to consider is, what is it that you have to offer to those who are suffering in Bombay? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the passage we're looking at in verses 3 and following, Paul is about to tell us that what Christians have to offer to those who are suffering is comfort. What you're going there among the many things to provide to them is comfort. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. All right, just hearing it, you hear that word comfort over and over and over again. Paul uses the word comfort here more than he does in any passage in all the scriptures. Let me just give you a quick background on what Paul's writing about here. Paul is a a messenger of Jesus, a Christian, a Jewish man that became a Christian and began to plant churches. And one of the churches that he planted was in the city of Corinth. And after planting that church, he moved on to plant other churches. And when he left some of his adversaries and opponents came into the congregation and began to start, started to talk smack about Paul and, and began to raise doubts about Paul's ministry and, and his authenticity and his credibility. And they started to cause people's suspicions to be raised. They started to trouble everyone. The, the situation in Corinth was that the people of Corinth, much like us, were impressed by the celebrity types, right? So they, they loved the eloquent speakers and the great smooth preachers, and they loved the, the kind of men that seemed invincible and sort of like walking on clouds and larger-than-life kind of personalities. That's the kind of pastors and people that they wanted. Those are the kinds of people that had the emblem of God's approval and favor. And yet Paul was the total opposite. Wherever Paul went, there was hardship and suffering. The thing Paul, everyone knew about Paul the most was his weaknesses. In any city Paul went to, you could surely know that trouble and hardship and affliction and suffering was not far behind. In fact, what was most pronounced about Paul's whole ministry was his weaknesses, his infirmities his inabilities, his sufferings, his afflictions, his hardships. And so the opponents began to spread the word. Look, this unimpressive, afflicted, suffering man cannot possibly be God's man. We buy the same kind of lie today. There's a great false gospel being spread that the sign of God's favor is that we walk in health and wealth and comfort and prosperity, that if everything's going right, God must be pleased with that man. And Paul destroys that whole lie because here was God's man and he was marked by suffering and weakness and and struggle and affliction. And so when his opponents were coming to highlight Paul's weaknesses and suffering and as an example that he was not qualified, Paul sees it very differently. Look again at verse 3 and 4. Rather than being defensive about his weaknesses, rather than apologizing or being ashamed of his sufferings, Paul sees it as an opportunity and an occasion to praise God, to bless God. In fact, in Paul's view, his suffering is not only going to not disqualify him for ministry, it's going to enable him to do ministry. His suffering, his affliction, and moreover the comfort that God grants, is the very means by which Paul is going to serve the people that God has called him to serve. Rather than disqualifying him, it enables him. Listen again to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. He begins with this word of praise to bless God, and he wants to describe this is who God is. God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who God is. You want to know who God is? God is the Father of all mercies and compassion and the God of all comfort. And since that's who God is, here's what God does. Verse 4, He comforts us in all our afflictions. Paul contends that since this is who God is, this is what God does. He comforts us. And Paul even further says that as suffering increases in his life, so also does God's comfort. There's this proportionate relationship that as God pours down suffering and allows it into Paul's life, God also amply pours comfort into his life. Look at verse 5. He says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul's never shortchanged. He's saying, look, as following Jesus means more and more hardship and difficulty in my life, so also does following Jesus mean more and more comfort from God in my life. God is faithful to give comfort wherever suffering increases. Now, what is this comfort? Right? That's important to know. If if Paul's in this affliction and God's comfort is meeting him in his suffering, what is this comfort? It is not The kind of comfort you find on the front of a hallmark card. It's not sentimental fluff. It's not flighty, floating, emotional, feeling alone kind of stuff. It's not even an escape from the circumstance or a deliverance out of the trouble. Look again to what he says in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction?" It doesn't say who delivers us from our affliction or rescues us out of our trouble, but rather who comforts us in our affliction. I want you to hear that word struck my heart this week because as I think through the sufferings in my life and the things that my family is enduring, the only thought I have towards how God is going to act is how's he going to get us out of this? I just got my eyes so far down the road. I'm going, the way that God is going to act is he's going to lift us up out of this thing. So much so that I am blind to what he wants to do in the days towards that day. In the days of providing comfort day by day to meet those needs. As I am in need, he provides comfort. God is not just working to deliver you out of trouble, but to give you comfort in your affliction. He's coming alongside us in our suffering and affliction to comfort us. And that word comfort could mean encourage, that he puts courage in your heart. He strengthens you. He enables you. He puts steel in your spine so that you can press on and press in and persevere, so that you can endure, so that you can keep going. One pastor says it's like a a coach that comes to a team who's trailing by 20 at halftime. The wise and good coach at halftime does not sneak them out of the locker, board them onto a bus, and take them to another city. The wise and good coach encourages them, gives them comfort, speaks into their heart, gives them steel in their backbone so that they can do what? Come out the second half and press on and press in and persevere and endure until the end. The comfort that God provides is to invigorate your soul to give you the grace that you need to press on and press in and persevere, to give you a new perspective, to see things from God's point of view, to give you promises to hold on to and to latch onto and to believe in the midst of your troubles. One promise, 20 promises, thousands of promises in the scriptures that your soul can cling to and experience comfort in the midst of suffering. Here's some of God's promises. Just hear them. Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Psalm 23 verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Psalm 94 verse 17 and 18. If the Lord had not been my help... My soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slipping, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. Comfort. God provides comfort. And as he provides comfort, one of the reasons he does that is told to us in verse 4. The reason that he provides this comfort among many, one of the reasons why he comes alongside you in your affliction and comforts you, verse 4, is so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you hear that? That one of the purposes God has for your suffering And moreover, for the comfort that day by day sustains you is so that... He's giving you the reason. This is so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any... That word any is important. Who are in any affliction, right? When you get to Bombay, it's not because you've been there that you're going to be able to minister comfort. But we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. To the team that's going, hear me. You are going over there to be healers, but you are wounded healers. To borrow a phrase from a man called Henry Nouwen. You are wounded healers. And I want you to be, take courage in this that the various sufferings you are experiencing, enduring, and moreover, the comforts that God has ministered into your life have been prepared by God for this very moment so that you could minister comfort to those who are in any affliction with the very comfort that you have been comforted by God with. And that's not just for the 12 folks or the 16 folks that are going. This is for all of you who are believers. What a change in your perspective it could offer. What an encouragement it might be if you would consider that God has sovereignly allowed what he has allowed into your life for a host of reasons, most of which he alone knows, but one of them being because he is sovereignly preparing you to be a comfort to those he has called you to serve, that you might minister to them the very comfort that God has ministered to you. To the team that's going, to you 12 folks, over the 10 days that you are in Bombay, you may not and will not be able to deliver these victims out of their circumstance and remove them from their affliction. Are we praying towards that? Are we working towards that? Are we pressing on towards that? Are we hoping for that day? Absolutely. But until that day arrives, God may be sending you to give them the comfort they need to live the days till that day arrives. That you might minister to them comfort in their affliction. You are essentially, hear me, you are essentially going to do for them what God has done for you. Now I know on one level you cannot relate to anything Those who are suffering, those women, those men, those boys, those children, those girls are going through. But on another level, you have more in common with them than you think. Because your soul knows what it was like to be trapped by an enemy who did not care about you. And wanted your ruin and wanted to use you even if it would lead to your death and your destruction and your ruin. You know what it was like to be under that bondage and be powerless to set yourself free. You know what it was like to be under that power, unable to get out. And then Jesus came into your life. And Jesus set you free. And Jesus ministered comfort and healing to your ruined soul. And Jesus brought you to life. And that is the greatest comfort any of us will endure or experience. And that is the comfort that you go to provide. And so comfort them as God has comforted you. Give them comfort, whether that be through your scalpel or through your stethoscope, whether that be through looking them in the eyes and giving them a quick smile, one that they have not seen in days. Whether that be by praying over them or for them. Whether that, that by be expressing to them that God loves them. And do not take that for granted because nothing in their life indicates that he does. Except maybe for the fact that he sent you from across the other side of the world to demonstrate that he does. Perhaps that will be by treating them with dignity and respect because it has likely been a long time since they have been treated as though they were worthy of dignity and respect. And as you wait on them hand and foot and care for them and minister to them, you are providing comfort. And as God gives the opportunity to declare the comfort that is found in his son, Jesus Christ, God is sending you to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that you have received from God. Now perhaps you hear this, both of you who are sending and going, and still there's a part of our hearts that go, this all may be true, but we are all in way over our heads. I mean, really, ten days... We are in way over our heads. And, and if we're honest, the, the, the feeling that you will feel and that we feel now is we're out of our league here. We're out of our depth, and we are helpless. And I want to say that's a good place to be. And that's the place God wants you to be. Look at what Paul says in verses 8 through 10. Paul begins to describe the kind of affliction he went through. Listen to what he says in verses 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, But on God who raises the dead, and he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Hear this. Paul is not naive about suffering. He's not trying to spin this into a good light and and get you to think happy thoughts. He gets how hard life is and how hard ministry is. Now, we're not sure exactly what Paul went through when he was in Asia, which, by the way, was just a coincidence that you too are going to Asia, right? But he, we don't know what kind of circumstance he went through, but we know that he was pressed to the point of despairing in life itself. We don't know if it was perhaps some kind of opposition or persecution, Wherever Paul went, in whatever city, it seemed like he was either getting stoned or beat up or dragged out or beat down. And so perhaps it was one of those. We don't know if it was some kind of ailness or illness. This word affliction has a physical sense to it. We don't know if it was some kind of circumstance outside of him or some kind of sorrow brewing within him. This word affliction also has an emotional side to it. We don't know what it is, but what we do know is that what he experienced as he was trying to serve the people God called him to serve was that it was so severe, he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. What Paul felt was like, it's done, it's over, I, I cannot do this. I'm out of my league here. All that's waiting for me is death, right? I'm in over my head. It felt like we were burdened beyond our strength. Now, I want you to hear, I don't know if you've been through seasons like that, if you're going through seasons like that or for this team. I don't know if that's what you have coming as you head to Asia. I don't know if when you get there, if you're going to face opposition from the people in Bombay, that will cause you to be burdened beyond your strength, right? I don't know if when you get there, you're going to face an immense kind of emotional anguish as you consider the lives of the people that you are serving and how in 10 days you will leave them. And I imagine that it will grip and rip your heart as you minister to them. Perhaps it will be the spiritual oppression that I imagine you will feel as soon as you step into that red light district where you can almost feel the darkness as this being a layer that Satan is working hard to keep under his domain and you are entering into that darkness as lights for Jesus Christ. Maybe the stress of all of that will come till it threatens to divide you as a team and cause conflict so that even in that place, you begin to be fractured and frayed. I have no idea what's coming. I do imagine it will be difficult. And if and when you get to the place where you are burdened beyond your strength, just so that you feel like you've received the sentence of death, would you please remember God has a purpose for even that moment? And that is, as he says here, To make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Let all of that pressure and all of that hardship and all of that affliction, whether you're in Bombay or to us who are still here, these circumstances, let it bring us back to the reality which is we cannot rely on ourselves but on God, on God alone who can do this, on God alone who can accomplish this. So you're going there to serve these people. And how are you going? You're going to offer to them comfort as God has comforted you. And when you find that you are not enough, that moment is to help you realize to not rely on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead that you and your teammates cannot do this thing. And so set your hope fully on God who has delivered us and will deliver us again. Now let me close by saying this. We've talked to the team that is going. What about us who are staying, who are sending? What about us? What do we do? How can we help? Well, Paul tells us that too. Look at verse 11 and then we'll close. Here's what we do. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Hear this, team. As we send you out, we are telling you today we will help you by prayer. We will help you, as the scripture calls us here to, by prayer. We must, the scripture say, help you by prayer. So as you go, we will help by praying. By praying that when you are so burdened beyond the point of your own strength, it might cause you to rely not on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We will pray that you will set your hope on God who has delivered us and will deliver us again. We will pray that God would minister comfort to you so that through you, you might minister comfort to those whom God has called you to serve. We will pray that God would provide for you and protect you and deliver you. We will pray, we will help you by our prayers that God would surround his angels around you, that the enemy and his attacks would not pursue you or come to you or affect you. We will pray and help you by our prayers that God would give you the wisdom and skill that you need for the task that he has called you to, Everyone who's sending, hear me, you don't get to check out for the next 10 days. You must help them by prayer. You must help them by prayer. So that, and this is what Paul says, so that as God hears our many prayers... And it goes to heaven and he hears and responds with blessing to them. It will result in many giving thanks to God. Paul ends right where he began. How did he begin? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. Paul begins by praying, except his hope is that it won't just be him praising God, but rather as many of us pray and the Father hears those many prayers and blesses this team that many of us would join in praising God. Your many prayers will result in many giving thanks for the blessings granted through those many prayers. And so Paul's hope for this team, the scriptures hope for this team is we're sending you and we're sending you to minister comfort as God has comforted you. And when you come to a place that you realize you're not enough, that's good because it's to help you rely not on yourselves, but on God who delivers us and will deliver us again. And as we send you to do that, we will help you by our prayers So that the prayers of us who are many will result in much blessing. And through that blessing, many will give thanks to God. And so, Seven Mile Road, let's help them. And we'll begin that even today. So how we want to end is just begin by applying this word and helping this team as they go in prayer. Some of them will leave this week itself. majority of them will leave on February 10th. And as they go, we who stay will help by prayer. So what I want to do is, as we've done for the last few weeks, I want to give us as a church a moment to pray, to lift our voices, to say a word, a sentence, and help these people in prayer. If you're going on the trip, would you stand for a second? Okay. There are a bunch of folks who are going who are either upstairs or not here today. The rest of us, will stand together. What I especially want you to do is if you're next to someone who is going on the trip, would you circle around them? And then we'll take a few minutes to raise our voices in prayer. So we'll all stand. If you're around someone who's going on the trip, come around them. You can lay a hand on them. The scriptures call for that as we commission this team and send them out. And then let's take a moment and one or two of you, a few of you, lift your voices and help this team
0: in prayer.